0: All right. We're in Exodus chapter 12. You would turn there in your Bible, Exodus chapter 12, if you haven't done so already. We are going through our series, uh, Shadows of Christ. And, and there will be several of these throughout the years that we'll kind of put back into this uh, this bucket as we hit them. We won't all finish them right now. Actually, next week, this is our last one for, for now. And next week, we're going to transition into uh, a, a series about um, outreach and evangelism and what that looks like in our own lives. Well, how does an ordinary Joe, uh, Joe or Sally right, just go out and, and love and communicate the gospel to people? Uh, get just a, a note, you don't have to be a teacher or a pastor to do that. We're all called to do that, and so we're going to look at how, some practical ways to do that and, and from Scripture and, uh, and give, you, give you some tools for that coming up starting next week as it leads up to Easter. But we're talking about Shadows of Christ, and uh, this is the fourth one we've done. Uh, the first one we did was the snake in the wilderness when Moses was there, and, and the Israelites sinned against God, and snakes went out and bit them, and they were they were killed, or, and then there was a remedy, right? Uh, God said, put a snake or make a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up, and anyone who looks to that snake would be healed, right? And then Jesus later on identified him as the snake that was lifted up in the wilderness, that if they would look to him, just the, just like the snake was lifted up, he also would have to be lifted up for the forgiveness of sins, and if anyone would look at him, they would be healed and forgiven, we looked at Joseph also as a shadow of Christ, and Joseph was the suffering servant uh, who was later exalted, and we saw that happen with Jesus as well. And last week, we looked at the rock in the wilderness, the rock that seemed to have followed uh, the Israelites as they went through the wilderness and continued to provide them uh, with, 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 with water and nourishment and, and rescue, right? Uh, we saw how it was struck and how it was poured out for them and how Jesus then was also struck and poured out. For us, So today, we look at, and as your sermon title and your notes say, it's the Passover Lamb. We look at the Passover Lamb. We head to the book of Exodus, and uh, where we see God institute Passover as an escape for the Israelites from his judgment toward Egypt to all that would oppose him. So that's what we're going to see today, and we're going to see how Jesus is also our Passover Lamb. So I'll pray for us, and then we're going get to get to work in Exodus chapter 12. Let's pray. Lord, we pause to humble ourselves and come before you with the right heart and the right attitude. God, desiring your word to reign supreme in our lives. So God, help us to to turn to you at every chance we get. And God, as we look to your word, may you open our hearts and our minds to be receptive. That God, God, we would see you for who you are and we'd see us for who we are. That we would turn for, from our own sin and run to you. We thank you for the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the the strength we find through the word and And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we ask that the Spirit would be in our midst, teaching us, and training us, and convicting us, and conforming us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 12, looking at verses 1 through 13 together. I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male, You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts in the lintel of the house where where they eat them. They are to eat the meat at night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over the fire its head as well, and its legs and its inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning, any, any part of it left until morning. You must burn. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of God. Looking at the Passover as a shadow of Christ, certainly I hope we can start to see that uh, the Lamb of God is found in Jesus Christ, right? As we look at the Passover, it was a very real act of faith that the Israelites had to do uh, in God in order to be saved and rescued. But for us, these are shadows of what is to come, as Colossians says, and Christ is the substance, right? The substance is Christ. So it should point us to Christ today and make us run to him as our Passover lamb. So we're going to look at three different elements today of the Passover lamb found here. But I know there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of tradition, a lot of history, uh, and and a lot of stuff for deeper study. Feel free to go look at that and and dive in. Today we're going to look at these three aspects of the Passover lamb. Number one, the lamb was picked and examined. The lamb was picked and examined. You see that in the text there in 12, 1 through 6a. It says this, The Lord said to Moses in the land of Egypt, this month is to, begin, to be the beginning of months for you. It's the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one per family. The household's too small for an animal. That person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on their combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what they will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats, you are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. So look at that there. We're looking at this, this selection of this animal. And there were requirements for it. And, and we can look forward uh, to Jesus as well. Now there's a lot of prophecy fulfilled in the selection of the animal. A lot of, a lot of uh, ties there together. You see the unblemished animal, right? There was no, no imperfection in this animal. In fact, they picked it on the 10th day and they waited how long? Til the till four days, right? Till the 14th. What were they doing? examining, making sure, right, this looks good, let's make sure it's good, there's no, no lameness in this, no sickness in this, we want this to be a perfect unblemished animal, that's what the Lord called on, a young male, healthy male animal, take it from the sheep or the goats, you're to keep it until the 14th day, so there's an examination that's happening, the lamb was picked and examined, it was examined for blemishes, right, and, and why is that, right, there were blemishes all over uh, in the Israelites camps and all over Israel, there's already blemishes and sin there, You don't take something that's blemished and sacrifice it for the blemished. We take something that is unblemished and sacrifice it for the blemished. You you understand that that because of sin, you and I are all separated from God. and, And because of my sin, I can't pay for your sin. I have my own to pay for. And when it came to the perfect sacrifice, it was to be unblemished. Part of it was also a first fruits. Get your very best and offer it in faith to God and it's unblemished, and it will be the, the scapegoat. It will be the one that, that pays for the sins, atones for sins. The Lamb of God is similar in Jesus, right? So we, we examine. We examine the Lamb. What else could that time be for examining? Ourselves. Our own heart. So not only during that time we're examining, like, this is the Lamb we're going to slay in four days, making sure it's perfect and unblemished, we're also examining our own hearts. And, and here's the difference. And we see, see it all the way back to Cain and Abel. This is when the, the idea of, of uh, uh, sacrifice by faith came into play versus a sacrifice by works. right? Works righteousness versus faith righteousness. When Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices, Abel offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. He offered it in faith to God. And God accepted that. When Cain offered his sacrifice, he said, here's my offering. He didn't offer it in faith, and God said, I'm not pleased with that. And we have to understand that as we come before Christ, we come before God and say, God, here's here's my heart. Here's what I'm offering. We have to distinguish between, am I just coming to him saying, I'm putting in the time, and I'm offering you this, or do I come to him in faith and say, God, here's my my offering. It's it's from my heart. It's from the depth of my heart. It's, It's the very best I can offer. I want you to have that. That's the difference, right? And so there's an examination time. What's going on in our heart? Even today as we partake in a while in the Lord's Supper, are you going to come up here and grab the juice and grab the cracker? Because that's what we all do at church on Sundays. I've got to make sure I check my box off. And you come before God at the altar and say, okay, God, here's my offering. I'll, I'll do this for you. Or are you going to come up and say, God, you've done everything for me and and my whole heart has been examined open before you and I am found lacking in every way, but you are sufficient and you are my everything. And I walk down to partake in the elements. I walk down to offer my offering from the depth of my heart to you. That's the difference. So as we examine the lamb, we examine our own hearts to see, is our faith in the lamb of God? Our heart should say, I can't do it but trust that he can. And he did. Think about Jesus here as this unblemished lamb. He was, he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. He was a, a young, healthy male, right? A, a perfect, unblemished lamb that could be sacrificed. And he was, he was arrested and he was repeatedly questioned. Now listen, he was arrested because he said, I'm God in the flesh here to forgive sin. They arrested him for blasphemy, saying, you're claiming to be God when you're not. But he was claiming to be God, and he was God, is God. So they arrested him, and they repeatedly questioned him, right? They examined him as the lamb was examined, and his enemies were trying to trap him and to get him to say something incriminating. Trap him in his own wrongdoing, right? Why? So that they could feel better about murdering him. They could feel better about him paying for his own sins. But Jesus passed every test. When examined, Jesus passed every test. He, he knew no sin. Second Corinthians says, He that is God made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took the unblemished lamb, the one who knew no sin, and he put our sin upon him, so that through faith in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. He, he also committed no sin. So he knew no sin. He committed no sin. First Peter, we see, he did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. This is amazing. An amazing passage of Scripture. Letting us know that not only did Jesus not commit sin, because he didn't commit sin, he could entrust himself to the one, the Father, who would judge justly. And when when the Father looked at Jesus and judged Jesus, he was not being judged because he was being bad. He was being judged because we had been bad. Because we had sinned. And the sins, our sins, had been placed on Christ, and the wrath of God was placed on Christ's shoulders as well. He did not commit sin. But he took our sin. He suffered on our behalf and entrusted, him to, entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And in him there was no sin. 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. That's a raise of hand. That's all of us, right? We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all practice lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, that is Jesus, was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. There's no sin in him. That's why he could do it. He was the lamb that was examined. He was the one who did not come up lacking. We came up lacking, but he did not. He was the perfect lamb of God. In fact, we see that in John chapter 1 when John the Baptist looks at Jesus. What does he say? He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly who this was. This was God's perfect lamb sacrifice. That would be a sacrifice for all. Then we see even that, the perfect lamb was presented, but he was, he was even perfect to his Father in heaven, right? So we all think, oh, Jesus was great. He did awesome. The scriptures say this about him, but what did the, the Father speak of? Right? His baptism, what happened here? Matthew 3, it, it, he was baptized and said, a voice from heaven came out and said this about the Son, about Jesus, right? That's the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Reminds me of going back to creation when God created the heavens and the earth. He said, this is good. This is good. This is very good. Right? It, it passed the examination and then sin entered the world and death entered the world. And in, in a sinful, death-ridden world, Jesus entered the world. And of Jesus, the Father could look down and say, that is very good. He is the one I am well pleased. He is the unblemished lamb, the lamb that was picked The lamb that was examined. And as we examine the lamb, we find a perfect offering. The perfect Messiah. The one that could take our place. And as we examine our hearts, we must find them lacking. And be humbled that he has offered himself to us so that we might live. The lamb was picked and examined Number two, the Passover lamb was killed and its blood applied. It was slaughtered and its blood was applied. Look at Exodus chapter 12, looking at verses 6b through 7, actually 6a through 7. You're, You're to keep it until the 14th day of the month, right? There's the examination. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their house where they eat them. So there, there's their application of the blood. That the, the lamb will be slaughtered, the blood will be taken, and the blood will be applied to the doorpost and the lintel so that, that the blood covers that household, the blood covers that family. And what did that produce? Jump down to verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Again, the Israelites here are are slaves in Egypt. They've been treated poorly, and God sees it, and these are my people, and God wants to call them out and rescue them. Well, Pharaoh is a little stubborn, and he's not letting them go. Plague after plague comes, and finally the tenth plague comes. And the tenth plague is going to be a doozy. It's not just you know locusts or water issues or or or, uh, uh, frogs. This is something different. The firstborn across the board will be slaughtered. Will be slain. The Lord will do that. That, And it says this is His judgment on all the gods of Israel or all the gods of Egypt. And and what this I want you to understand what this means. God's judgment because he, He could say well. Egypt's really bad. Don't worry Israelites. I'll take care of it. I'm going to slaughter their firstborn as a sign and they'll let you go. But no, the the message went to the Israelites also saying you better prepare yourselves too. Why? Because they had all sinned. They had all fallen short. The gods of Egypt had become their gods at times as well. None of them was righteous. No, not one. Anyone who wanted to survive had to be covered by the blood Israelites or Egyptians alike, they all had to be covered by the blood. And then when he sees the blood, no plague will come among you to destroy you when I strike the lamb or or strike the land of Egypt. It must be understood. Listen, this is a key part of the lamb. We love that he, he came and he offered his life and he gave us his teaching, right? But it's deeper than that. It was not the life of the lamb that saved people. It was not the life of the Lamb. And, and I, don't, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're like, I really like Jesus. I really like his teaching and his philosophies. They're really awesome. And I can, I can subscribe to those things. And I want to be a part of people who kind of believe the same things about those teachings. And he's a good teacher. We all, we all need more of that in our lives. Yeah, I, I agree. We all need more of what Jesus looked like in life in our lives. But it will count for nothing if the Lamb is not slain. The life of the Lamb is not what saved people. It was the death of the Lamb. Blood had to be applied. And without, without His death, you and I will miss the point completely. You might live a great moral life. You might love the, word, the red letter. I, I love the red letter edition. That's when Jesus is talking. Yeah, what did He say? He said, Jesus speaking red letters. Here's what His life and His word said. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't, wasn't so all about, hey, follow exactly everything I say. I mean, he was. He was like, I'm here, by the way. This is why I'm here, to give my life. Some people would love to claim to admire Christ because of his life and teaching. But that was not the primary purpose he came. The God of the universe came into human history and took on human flesh. See, the God of the universe could have come into human history and just lived a life and and taught and, and been there. Oh, thank you. But he put on human flesh. Why? So he would suffer and die. He did it so he could give his life for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 22, according to the law, almost everything is purified by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You you know, I said earlier, Jesus came to to give his life as a ransom for many. You know who the many are? The many are those who understand that they are not good enough on their own. They're the ones who trust Christ in faith and the ones that apply his blood that was shed they apply it to their lives, for them. That's who they are. And then the question has to be asked, well, why not just, if, if the blood has to be shed, why not just keep up this, this system? Because after this uh, Passover, it was instituted that all the time. You'd, you'd sacrifice, to make atonement for sin. Every year, year after year after year. Why not just keep slaughtering a, a lamb and take care of it that way? Well, Hebrews went on to say, it, it in 10.4, it said, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible once and for all to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Those those offerings were offered in faith, and God looked at people that had faith, and they they were accepted. But it's impossible for just those sacrifices to cover the sins. But in Hebrews 9, here's what we see, verses 11 through 14. Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, out of this creation. He entered the most holy place. So he he didn't enter some tabernacle that was built by human hands that God instructed. He was entered the holy place once and for all. He was in communion with God. He was God. And he did not do it by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal, eternal redemption. Not yearly, not temporal, eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows sprinkled uh, those who were defiled, if that would sanctify them for the purification of their flesh, how much more, right, it's even more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, there's our without blemish, how, how much more then, when He offers Himself for us by His blood, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from dead works so we can serve the living God? See, this, this is moving us from that place, okay, God, here's my offering, here's my offering, and that moving us from that place is saying, I hope this is acceptable to you. To a place saying, God, nothing really I have is ever going to be acceptable to you. The only thing that's acceptable is the offering that Jesus made. And, I, and, and so for you and I now, we come saying, it's all yours, it's all you, we give everything to you. And God, when we stand before you, we don't stand there thinking, man, here's my offering. I hope it's good enough. We stand there saying, God, I'm taking that offering. I'm taking your offering because it is the only thing good enough. Jesus is the only one good enough to fully cleanse us from sin. It's an eternal redemption, not just a, man, I hope I can get it down every year. Here we go. Here we, it is an eternal thing. He is our eternal lamb. He is the lamb that was slain once and for all for those who would trust him in faith. And that moves us away, that idea of cleansing our consciences. It moves us away from guilt and shame and into a clear, forgiven conscience, right? Because he is our final sacrifice. I don't have to wonder anymore, am I enough? Am I, is my offering enough? Did I do it in the right attitude? Now I just come to him in repentant faith, saying, God, you are everything. I want everything uh, I have to be, to be worth nothing, and I want you to be worth everything to me. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors. I I think about that, and I, obviously all of these things in the Old Testament were shadows that pointed to Christ, but what Peter's saying is those things can be really, really empty. Those, those traditions, those uh, regulations and religion stuff, it can be really empty, he says, you're redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, but you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Right? There was this exchange that happened, but he says, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. We're made whole because he offered himself for us. We're made whole because he offered his body. We're made whole because he offered his blood, and he bled for us. Galatians, Paul tells us that, I've been crucified with Christ. Like Who I am is is dead, and and I'm I'm now in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is what happens when we come to faith in Christ, when we come to the Lamb who was slain. It says, the life I now live in the body. The the life I now live in the body. So as we come to, to faith in Christ, as we say, you're my Lamb, you're the one that sacrificed everything for me, your blood is being applied to my heart, my life. When we come to Him in that way, we live this life now in the body by another sacrifice? By trying our best? No. We live this life in the body. I, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not by works. I, I want you to understand something else about this. This is a really cool picture. If you read the rest through, through Exodus 12 and to 13, you'll see they used a hyssop branch. To, to put the blood on the doorposts. And this is a really flimsy, almost useless tool. And I think there's some real great uh, analogy here, real great imagery here. Because what, what works righteousness, what this, this thing says, like, I hope I'm good enough is, is that you're trying to have faith in your faith. You understand? Like, I, I try to come and say, I, I want my faith to be so strong, so my faith then is in my faith, to get me through. And our faith should not be in our faith. Our faith should be in Jesus Christ. And like that hyssop branch that is a flimsy, almost useless tool to apply the blood, still got the blood on the doorposts. And as flimsy as our faith is, if our, if our faith is in the blood of the lamb, it's enough. So part of our examination is that. Am I, am I trying to have faith in my faith? Or am I actually having faith in Jesus Christ? It's in the finished work of the perfect Lamb of God. Listen, God, God doesn't spare any of us because our sacrifice was enough. He spares and rescues us by grace through faith because His sacrifice was enough. I'll say that one more time. God doesn't spare any of us because our sacrifice is enough. He spares and rescues us by grace through faith in him because his sacrifice is enough. His sacrifice is enough. The lamb was killed and the blood was applied. The question is, have you applied the blood? Has his blood been enough for you? Or are you still relying on something else? Are you having faith in your faith. This was all made possible through the blood, not through your efforts. Finally, we see this. The Passover lamb was to be consumed. The Passover lamb was to be consumed. Go back to Exodus 12. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 together. It says, they're to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. couple thoughts right there on verse 8. And it says later on, don't eat it raw or cooked in boiling water, but roast it over the fire. They were to take this whole lamb, slaughter it, take its blood, put it on the doorposts, and then roast it whole over the fire. Don't break it apart and break it down and make it small and and break its bones and put it in the pot. This was to be an unblemished lamb with no broken bones. There's actually prophecy in Psalm 34 about that. He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. Remember the fulfillment of that? when the Passover was coming, Jesus was on the cross. He's there, and he's been crucified, right? And, and the other two thieves, they're, they're still alive, and, and they say, hey, let's get these guys off the cross. It's the Passover coming up, or the Sabbath. Let's let's take care of this. They went to break the legs, right? To break the bones. What they find with Jesus? He was already dead. They didn't need to break his bones. He was already dead. And Scripture tells us that it fulfilled this prophecy that he would not have any broken bones. Same with the lamb. Roast it over the fire. No broken bones. Roast it whole over the fire. And eat unleavened bread, reminding them there's no yeast, and that there should be no hint of sin in our lives. And then with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were to remind them of the bitterness that sin caused in their life. The bitterness of, of what they experienced in Egypt and what they had experienced when they were unfaithful to God. Bitter herbs should remind us of, of the past and say, that's not where I want to be at all. But we're to eat and, and consume the lamb and move forward for him with him. So roast it over the fire. You may not leave any of it until morning. Uh, if any of it, part of it is left, you must burn it. Here's how you must eat it. You must eat it dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff ready in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It's the Lord's Passover. Why? This is, I, I love this. I've always wondered, like what, like, what are they doing? Like, what's he, he has to get dressed a certain way and ready to go? You know, they, they ate it in an attitude of faith. But where were they? They were slaves in Egypt. God was coming to strike the firstborn dead. And, and what was he going to say? What was, what was his intention? To, to get this people out of Egypt, to rescue his people, and bring them into the promised land. If that's God's intentions, if that's God's promise, and God's sending this plague to Egypt It's going to strike down, and he's going he's to pass over those covered by the blood. He's like, you know what? Get ready. It's about to get real. And as soon as this occurs, we are out of here, so you better be ready. You don't want to be left behind here. So eat it in faith, and eat it prepared in faith. What it is, it's, they're realizing that, that there's, they're, ready, they're ready to realize this total hope, and they're ready to realize this total freedom that they will have because of what God is about to do what does that look like for you and I? A readiness in our heart to realize the hope and freedom that you have in Christ because of Christ's sacrifice. We don't come here thinking, oh, maybe this is a band-aid and it'll fix something. We come here knowing it's everything. We're ready. We're ready to go. We're ready for hope. We're ready for joy. We're ready to, to obey and to follow God wherever He would have us go because He has paved the way with His body and His blood. This is is repentance. This is what repentance looks like. He says to the Israelites, get ready, get dressed. You can't have it the way you've had it anymore. Something new is going to happen. Get get the old off, put the new on, get ready to travel. You know, you can't grab those things, it's too much. Just grab what you can get, let's go. Be ready to leave, be ready for freedom. Being ready for freedom means I'm, I'm ready to leave behind whatever has bound me, and whatever has kept me in slavery, and, and, and listen, maybe you haven't let go, maybe, because it takes repentance, it takes saying, I want to let go of whatever's holding me back, I want to let go of whatever uh, has bound me and kept me in slavery, you don't come with that saying, God, here it is, I'm in my chains, let's go together, you might bring them and say, God, here they are, uh, get me out of this, and you release it, and he, he, un- he frees you, and you leave it there, and walk with him, That's what it means to embrace him in faith and to trust that he is sufficient. And and nothing that we have, nothing we can hold on to, is ever going to be sufficient in any way as he is. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. We see this at the Last Supper, right? Matthew 26, the idea of consuming. What, What does it mean to consume this? They were eating, and Jesus took the bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, and I'm offering myself to you. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to offer my body, and I'm going to offer my blood, and it will be poured out for you. You and I must partake of him. What does that look like? It looks like faith in Christ alone. And it's it's available for all who would believe, right? He said the entire family is supposed to do this. When we we talk about Christ, when we embrace a relationship with Christ, it's not just about you. It's about your family. It's about your kids. It's about your grandkids. It's about your, your friends. It's about them knowing this is available to them if they would believe. Paul writes in Romans, the the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The offering was given so that we might be made righteous and pure. It's given through faith in Christ. Guess where? Guess to who? To all who would believe. To all who would believe, since there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. None of us are adequate on our own. We all owe everything because of our sin. But Jesus paid it all. And he's available to all who would believe. That righteousness is available to all who would believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they, the many who would believe, are justified freely. Freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him. God presented Jesus as the mercy seat by his blood. God's like, he's going to be the sacrifice. He's going to be the one that dies on the altar. He's going to be the one that is poured out for you. Why? To demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Uh, You and I should be thrilled right now that we are not getting what we deserve. God is, you better believe it, God is passing over our sin. He's waiting. He's he's long-suffering, wanting, desiring you and me to come to faith in Him. To trust in His blood. Blood has has been shed on your behalf. Blood was shed on my behalf through Jesus Christ. That if we would believe, we would be made whole. We would be saved. And His righteousness would be, be what covers us. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that, he would both just, or be just and justify the one, you and I, that have faith in Christ. He's ready to justify. He, we, can't, we, we try all the time, I, I want to justify what I did. We can't justify our actions. We can't justify our sin. We can't be found right and pure and, and without any sin. But God, in Christ, is giving us an opportunity to be cleansed. This is that salvation by substitution, that we exchange our filthy rags for his righteousness. And, and when we do that, his blood is applied to us, and when we have faith in him, we're consuming and partaking in him. And when we stand before God on Judgment Day, he will look at us and not see your best effort. He will see the righteousness of Christ that was accomplished by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and through you and I, putting our faith in him and in nothing else. We must partake of him. Listen, the message of the Passover lamb is that God is holy and just, that he must punish sin. But the message is also that God is merciful. And on that first Passover, God devised a way in which he could be both just and merciful at the same time. It was salvation through substitution, by the perfect Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And it's not by anything you and I could ever accomplish. Amen? That's the Passover Lamb, the shadow of Christ. Now, we're going to go into a time now of, of our Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask that the, the worship team come back up, and we're going we're to have a prayer time. I'm going to give some instruction of what we're going to do. Uh, if we can have our kiddos start coming back in, if you guys want to gra- grab them and round them up. Our children are going to join us and sing along with us. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and I, I need you to really listen and really understand what this is going to be. Because I think so often I, we see it in church at times where, hey, uh, yeah, this is what we do. We come and take this bread and this juice and it's good stuff. And it's, it's just kind of the tradition. It's not that. We When we come and partake of the Lord's Supper, we come knowing that we are worthless, knowing that we have nothing to offer, and knowing that He offered everything. So we come to remember and to proclaim that he has done it all. And It's a proclamation. It's a proclamation that, that we are nothing and he's everything. So for those who have come to faith in Christ, who have trusted him as Savior, this means the world. And it should not be taken lightly. It should not be like, oh yeah, this is what, no, you come in humility, rejoicing that he is our everything. But if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, this does not mean anything to you. And, and we'd ask that you not partake, that you, you, you sit by and watch and you observe and, and you reflect on your own self and your own heart and see what God's doing. And, and for, for many of us who have kids, right, this is for those who have come to faith in Christ, right? Uh, it, maybe you have some kids that haven't, maybe you don't. We'd ask that you use this as a teaching time for those who haven't come to faith yet. And for those that have, use this as a rejoicing time and a teaching time. And they can partake with you as well. And here's how we're going to do it in a few minutes. I'm going to pray for us and, and these guys are going to start singing or start actually playing just instrumentally the old rugged cross. We're gonna, I want to bring the lights down just a little bit to have some reflective time in our, in our time together. And they're going to be playing that along. And, and just pray. Just spend some time in prayer, examining the Lamb and examining your own heart in relation to the Lamb. And as you feel ready and as you feel led, you get up and you can walk down and, and grab the, the elements yourself. And you're gonna, there's there's double cup. There's a, a juice and a cracker and, and there's two cups there grab one, take one, and go, come up the middle aisle, come down the outside aisle, and head back to your side, seat and just sit there and reflect and, and pray and think. And then we'll start, we'll start having our time together uh, worshiping as well. well. We'll sing that song eventually. But I'd like, what I'd like to do today is for everybody to hold on to the elements. Don't go back to your seats and partake. Hold on to the elements. And, and after the old rugged cross, when everyone's been served, when everyone's seated, I'll come back up and we will, we will partake together, reading of scripture and praying together through that time. And then at the end of that prayer time, we'll go back into some more worship and just responsive worship, worshiping God for who He is and, and, and an overflow of our heart to Him and reflecting on, on what He wants us to do. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for you to, to, to be able to partake together with your family as well. So this, this time will be a time of reflection, all right? Uh, let's go ahead and, and pray together. You can stay seated. We'll pray together and then we'll go into our, our time here. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy your love. We thank you that you are the perfect lamb that was slain. And God, today as we remember your sacrifice, we come remembering at the Lord's table the body that was given and offered, the perfect unblemished lamb of God, and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. We're so thankful for that. God, may we not come down in any kind of pride saying, here's my offering. May we come down saying, God, thank you for your offering, and here's my faith in you. We trust you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.